right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are in 1 Corinthians 14, nearing the end of Paul's uh, first letter to the Corinthian church. I mean, Paul, Paul genuinely cares for this people. Uh, he, he helped start this church as the, the founding apostle, and, and yet he also knows that they've started to stray. And in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, kind of want to just walk through. I'm going to focus on really one specific gift. And the Apostle Paul says, look, when we talk about these gifts, he says, I want you to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. So he says, pursue love. First and foremost, that's our focus. How do you do that? You got any idea, guys? Pursuing love. Like when I'm interacting with my neighbors or with my family, like love just doesn't come natural. Is that, is that a fair statement? Yeah. Like it is a choice to love somebody. And I think it's the same concept with when he says, love God, love others. You have to pursue this. You have to pursue this love component. And at the same time, look, I have to just say, we need a balanced approach in this and desire spiritual gifts. Like it doesn't just say pursue love and be okay with that. He says, no, at the same time, desire spiritual gifts. And I think to me, that's what's so fun about all of this. I think in the church, as I've grown up, as I've traveled across the United States, and we talk about this love component, we're okay with it. But man, the second that, Sean, you know, we go into these congregations and they say, but you can't talk about gifts. That's a weird component for me. And it happens all the time. Why? Because all we do is focus on the diversity uh, and the differences between us and our perspectives rather than the unity. And, and Paul says, look, man, we're unified in these things. Even though there's different gifts, we're unified in these things. And then he, Paul even says, look, I want you to pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. And then the one that makes people uncomfortable, and it shouldn't, it says, above all, that you should prophesy. Okay. Above all of these other gifts, above wisdom and knowledge and faith and healing, he says, oh yeah, and by the way, performing miracles and discernment and tongues and interpretation of tongues, I want you to prophesy above anything else. And look what he says in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14, 2. He says, for the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men, but to God. Since no one understands him, however, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. So as he's as he's praying, as he's speaking in tongues, okay, clearly he doesn't understand what he's saying. He's speaking mysteries in the spirit. So it's kind of like one of those, I don't know what he's saying. It's that mysterious, I mean, component of the gifts. And then in verse three, though, he brings even a, a, a unique picture to all this. He says, but the person who prophesies speaks to people for three specific reasons and what I love about this is, is that when we think about prophecy, like we think weird cuckoos <laughs> that are asking for money, right? Like when you think of prophecy, you're like, and fire of God's falling and it's going to crash your house and destroy your life. Like we have this picture of prophet and prophecy. They're different, but we have this picture of those. And prophecy, you guys, is Paul says there's three reasons and none of none of this should scare us. The first reason is edification. Okay, let's go to my teacher friends over here. The word edification, to edify, means what? It's to speak intelligence or morality into people. How do I speak intelligence into somebody? Hey, you got to be intelligent. <laughs> Rich. Rich, what do I do with that? Uh, you learn from it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a fair statement. It's building somebody up, correct? 
You're speaking morality. What you say, you're speaking intelligence and morality, but the whole point is, is that you're building them up. Like you're speaking wisdom almost. Yeah. Okay. So then the another one, the another one, like the Netherlands, uh, another one, another reason that a person would prophesy is for encouragement. Okay. Uh, Rich, let's go to you. You got a definition for encouragement? Yeah, Sean just encouraged me. He said, good luck with this one. <laughs> so it's like kind of like that. It's to lift somebody's spirits up. Okay, great. I'm with you on that one. And then lastly, Tom, we're going to go to you. Consolation. Got any idea what consolation means? Uh, I think of consolation, if you win the consolation championship, it's kind of like good job, but not quite. <laughs> That's what I love. Good job, but you kind of missed the mark. Sean, you want to add to that? There's nothing to add to that. Sorry you got second place. Suck it up. (laughs) No trophy for you. Hey, um, Tom, do you want to talk about miniature golf now? No, we're good. Is Is this an issue that we need to deal with? All right, so these are the three things I think, I think I know, Scripture says this is why people would prophesy. They speak to people for these three things. This is your lens. Now, in verse 4, the person who speaks in another language builds himself up. So when you're praying in tongues, okay, and you're speaking out forth tongues, like you're, you're, it's almost like, this is not an accurate statement in a weird way, but like you're, 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 um, you're working out, like you're getting built up, like you are getting stronger in the Lord. But he who prophesies builds up the church. So my goal would be, I want to help Sean be built up in this. I want to edify him. I want to uh, encourage him. I want to experience comfort in this process. So like that would be the objective. The difference is tongues would be for me. Prophesy would be for another person. Now, interesting enough, the scripture then continues on in verse five. I wish all of you spoke in other languages. Why? So that all of us could be built up in the Lord. I mean, that's Paul's language. He says, look, tongues are are for real. And the reason is, is because it draws you closer to the Lord. But even more so that you prophesied. Why? Because the focus is on somebody else. Love. The reason that you prophesy is because you love them. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages. And I would just say, honestly, I think it's because it blesses somebody else. Unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So if you're speaking in tongues in a church setting and all of a sudden now you're interpreting, you're releasing that prophet, you're releasing that, that word of, of, of tongues and now that's building up the church. So that is why he's saying like that person who can interpret now is greater because you're building up the entire body. And so there's this constant focus. What I see in the language of Paul is that when you focus on love and on others, Paul says, that's why it's greater. But interesting enough, when you're speaking in tongues, it's building yourself up so that you can continue to release words. So it's just kind of a cool picture here. Uh, And I'll just tell you, I'm not necessarily speaking from experience. I'm speaking from experience based on other people, but doesn't necessarily mean that I have speaking in, I'm speaking in tongues or prophesying. I'm just relaying the picture of what Paul is saying here. He, He wishes that everybody spoke in tongues. I just want to sit there on that for a second. It's a big one. Because when people say that tongues are no longer applicable, then what do you do with this word when Paul says, I want everybody to do this? What, what are we saying? Paul's desire and wishes in 1 Corinthians 14, 5 is done? Uh, it goes back to our language, Sean, what we were talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, when we address this in verse 8, where it says, 
1 Corinthians 13, 8, it says, Love never ends, but as for prophesy, prophecies, they will come to an end. So now he's saying, okay, they're going to come to an end. As for languages, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. So either they have to support each other, but they won't contradict each other. So Paul is saying, by the way, I want you to experience prophecy. I want you to experience tongues. I want you to experience these gifts. But they only leave and they only stop. Remember this. This is important to understand. In 1 Corinthians 13, though, they only stop, though. It will come to an end when the perfect comes, which I believe it says when the perfect comes is implying when Christ comes back. So until he comes back, until we see the second coming, Prophecy, tongues, knowledge continue to exist in the body today, which is why I think 1 Corinthians 14 actually still makes sense. I wish all of you spoke in other languages. Why? Because it's continuing on. But even more that you prophesied the person and then it just he continues to to build this case. And so, Sean, if you would, would you go to uh, verse six? It says, but now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge, or prophecy, or teaching. In other words, how will this benefit you uh, in this process? In verse 7, it just says this. Even inanimate things that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? And I love this. It says in verse 8, In fact, if the trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless... You use your tongue for intelligible speech. How will what is spoken be known? In other words, interpretation is essential. For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world and all have meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Hence, uh, we need all of the gifts. To build up the body. If I don't know the meaning of the language, it just becomes a gong. It becomes, you know, a foreign sound. I don't have a clue what you're talking. I don't even care what you're talking about. So it says in verse 12, so also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. I think here's what's happened from my experience in going to churches. When people begin to pray in tongues, when they begin to pray in different languages, because that's what the scripture is talking about. Uh, like if you're not looking for an interpretation that's released over the church, you're not looking up to build up the church. You're looking up to build up yourself and honestly to create confusion in that environment. And I believe God is a God of order. And Paul is saying, look, guys, we need to put things in place. All of these gifts are good. Tongues is good. But let's do this in a way that's building up the church. You guys want to add anything to that at all? I think it falls in line with what he's been talking about. He's got order in the headship. And now he's putting order into the service. He's putting order into the church. Everything is just in order. And the minute that we begin to say that part doesn't apply, you have chaos. And then people begin to have this bad taste in their mouth about these gifts, which is why I love in verse 13, the scripture says this. Therefore, the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret. So I have been in environments where people are praying in tongues. And then what happens? They interpret their own prayer. Well, look in verse 13. The apostle says, hey, the person who's speaking in another language, pray that he can interpret. Pray that somebody can interpret or yourself can interpret this. Why? Because we want to build up the church according to verse 12. Like we should be seeking to excel in building up the church. Verse 14, for if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. We don't know what we're saying. 
What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with my understanding. The only thing I will say to this is, um, you know, as far as just my pattern of tongues, uh, when I... It's going to sound weird. It's going to sound immature. And I'm okay with that because I think you need to hear this. I believe the Lord gave me the gift of tongues. I believe he gave it to me in Seattle, Washington. And I believe that I began to pray in tongues. But it was like this. If, it, if you're going to take the analogy of a language, it was literally like a little kid learning the language. And I got stuck on preschool level. I, I really did. I got stuck in preschool level and I never felt like I could grow. And so what happened? just stayed there. I'm not kidding. That's where I have been at. But something, something, I don't want to say changed because I don't have a depth in tongues like I would like, um, is that when you sing in the spirit, I've heard people say that when they pray in tongues and they begin to sing in the spirit with the spirit, I've heard that there, it, there's a, a place like there's freedom in, in singing in tongues. I don't know. I just, I can't describe that except I know enough people that sing as well in tongues and sing with the spirit. And it, it's just like there's a sweetness there. And so, you know, you can push back on that. But it even talks about praying and singing with the spirit here. Verse 16, it says, otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the uninformed person say amen at the giving at your giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? Look, in this environment, OK, around other believers, the application is very simple. We need an interpreter when we're praying in tongues or singing in tongues. We've had experiences with this <laughs> in cities. We've had experiences where we've had people up on a stage and they have been praying in tongues. But the reality is, is that people haven't been exposed to this and they don't know that there needs to be an interpretation. Confusion, confusion begins to set in, which is why he's saying, you know, when, when a person, an uninformed person says amen at the giving of thanks, he doesn't even know what you're saying. We want to bring clarity to the whole picture. I want to keep reading here and then I'm going to come back to hopefully kind of what this means. But I just I feel like there, there's a lot here I want to read through for you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Like you don't you don't even know what you're praying and they don't know what you're saying. So I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. So Paul just pulls out the card. By the way, I'm extremely gifted. Yet in the church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding. I'd rather speak a normal language in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another language. In other words, I want clarity and order to be brought so that you can be built up in the Lord rather than me having a spiritual experience and a depth with the Lord, which is good. It's just not appropriate right then. And I wish people would understand this. This takes a mature perspective. When we go out and we've taught people how to share the gospel, you know, we have people say, oh, I need to speak in tongues. Hey, I need to do this. And Paul would say, hey, look, man, that's really good. But the reality is, is like we want clarity to be brought in the situation. Just tone down the tongues. It's a mature perspective as you're around believers. Now, when you jump into verse 20, what does that look like with non-believers? Well, brothers, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regards to evil and adult in your thinking. It says it is written in the law. I will speak to these people by people of other languages, and by lips of foreigners. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It follows that speaking in other languages is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Okay, so what this is implying is in verse 1 Corinthians 14, 22, is that if you're speaking in tongues, and this is where I actually repented, because I used to teach people, hey, don't pray in tongues over the lost, like it's just going to confuse them. Well, according to Paul, if you do do that, it's actually intended as a sign. 
Which is what happened to that story of that guy who spoke in tongues. Somebody came to know the Lord because it was their language. They were blown away that God would know their heart language, their, their tongue language. It really is a sign. And so to me, I'll never forget going into another country. And I started asking the Lord to give me tongues because I wanted to start praying out loud so somebody could hear me praying. So that they could be like, hey, how do you know my language? Like I, I only based that off of 1 Corinthians 14, 22. It didn't happen. But please don't close the door on speaking in tongues because it makes you uncomfortable. According to this verse, speaking in tongues is intended as a sign for the lost. It's a cool picture for me when I think about like somebody speaking in tongues. And when you do it in love, it's because you want somebody to experience Christ. Now, in a church setting, remember... Uh, it's to done, be done in order. You have to have an interpreter so that people could be edified. Now, at the same time, prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So tongues, in the context of dealing with the lost, is a sign for the lost. But prophecy is not meant for unbelievers, but only for believers, according to 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Therefore, it says in verse 23, if everybody comes together, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages and people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in. So you're in a church setting and people are starting to speak in tongues. Will they not say you are out of your minds? Isn't that not what happens? You bring in your lost neighbor to your church and the next thing you know, you got five people speaking in tongues and you're kind of like, they're just staring at them like, what in the world is wrong? That's exactly what Paul says. They're going to think that. And then in verse 24, but if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all and is judged by all. God does things in order. And I think that's the important understanding. Love is not selfish. Love is not arrogant. Love is not boastful. You don't do these things so that everybody looks at you. You do these things in order to build up the body or draw the lost to the Lord. And when you have that perspective of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, it's sandwiched with love. Man, all this works. But God help us for never communicating. And I don't say never like because we're not, but I just it, it's like one of these little rarities. Like, And I know there are certain denominations that talk about the gifts more, but I'm telling you guys, it's like we're afraid to touch this thing because of the past. And I, I just would challenge and encourage and pray, Lord, would you raise up the gifts in the body of Christ to draw people to you and to build up the church. It says in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, but if all are prophesying and some unbeliever, uninformed person comes in, he's convicted by all and is judged by all. Verse 25, look, what happens is it says the secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he'll fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. So in environment of believers and a lost person is there and prophecy takes place, Lord willing, it will draw him to fall on his face, literally, to worship God and he will say, man, God is, God is here. <laughs> what an awesome picture of why prophecy and why tongues are important when they're done in order. Verse 26, what then is the conclusion, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language or an interpretation. All things must be done for edification. If any person speaks in another language, then there should be only two or at the most three each in turn and somebody must interpret. So, man, we have gotten into discussions in other cities where I'm like, look, if we're going to speak in tongues, only two or maybe three at the most and that people have to interpret. This is where we go. I don't want 15 people speaking in tongues. It creates confusion. And then people are scratching their heads saying, God, what are you saying? 
In verse 28, it says, and if there's no interpreter, that person should keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. In Flint, Michigan, I'm up on the stage at, uh, at a union building. And in that union building, a lady starts speaking in tongues. And I just said, hey, look, and I've never done this before at that time. I go, is there anybody, can anybody interpret what she's saying? Nobody. And I said, ma'am, I need you to be quiet. She kept doing it. She kept doing it. I actually asked her to leave the place. We had to have her escorted out because this just creates confusion and doesn't build up anybody in the body of Christ. You must stay silent if there's not interpreter. If you desire to speak in tongues and you do it out of disobedience, I'm telling you, it's selfish. Like you're going against 1 Corinthians 13, that whole thing. And I'll never forget that that lady that we asked to leave, that congregation really pushed back on me uh, in Flint, Michigan until we showed them the scriptures. And then they're like, oh, okay, thanks for showing me that. When you base your decisions based on the word of God, you can walk with confidence. And you can do it in grace. You can do this in love. But I'm telling you guys, we, we can't back down from this. And in verse, 20, uh, verse 29, it says two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. So as the word is being released, as these words are being released, please have others evaluate this word. Because if something has been revealed to another person, scripture continues on, uh, to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one uh, so that everybody may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are under the control of the prophets. And since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Scripture then wraps this whole thing up. <laughs> Just when you thought we were good with this topic. As in all the churches of the saints. It says the women should be silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be submissive as the law also says. Oh, that's, that's, that was for the Corinth church. So we argue. That's what people say. Look, if I believe, okay, I have to say this. If I believe that, you know, things need to be done in order and that you have to have an interpreter and not so many prophets are speaking at the same time, why would I not say 34 is applicable today as well? Look, I know it's controversial. I'm not here to stir the pot. All I'm just saying is the word says the women should be silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak, but should, but should be submissive as the law also says. And then it says in verse 35, if they want to learn something, they should ask their own husbands at home for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in a church meeting. I'm sure somebody doesn't like this text. I'm sure. I'm sure. All I can just tell you is read what it says. I don't really know if this is a cultural issue. Prior to this, I don't think it's a cultural issue. Prior to this, I think tongues and and uh, prophecy, I think we do these things in order, and I think 34 and 35, I think we need to learn from. And look, that's not a because I don't like women. That's not because I don't think women are gifted teachers. It has nothing to do with that. I'm literally just saying, this is Paul saying, and Sean, you said at the beginning, this is God putting order to gatherings. This is God putting order to the church. Just keep digging into that. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord what this means to you. And then in verse 36, it says, Did the word of God originate from you or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. In other words, recognize this is the word. But if anybody ignores this, he will be ignored. Therefore, brothers, be eager to prophesy. In other words, please, as it goes back to that desiring the spiritual gifts, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid Speaking in other languages. I don't want to miss this one. Look, I'm just going to tell you, as we've traveled, I have had people tell me specifically, do not 
have people speak in tongues. Please do not teach on speaking in tongues. And all I know is Paul says, he specifically says, don't forbid it. Don't forbid speaking in other languages. As long as it says in verse 40, everything is done decently in order, it's of the Lord. There's a lot of topics here. I freely admit that are hot buttons you might not like, I might not like. But I think it's still real. I think it's very real. And in fact, here's what I want to do. I want to just uh, I want to read a definition of prophecy if I can. I think John Piper, he, he, pro- he, he describes prophecy in the third category. I think this is really interesting of a New, Tis- New Testament gift of, po- of, of prophecy. He says, prophecy is a regulated message or report in human words, usually made to the gathered believers on spontaneous personal revelation from the Holy Spirit for, and what we've talked about, edification, encouragement, consolation, conviction, or guidance, but not necessarily, and I think this is important here, free from a mixture of human error and thus needing assessment on a basis of apostolic biblical teaching uh, uh, and mature spiritual wisdom. You know why I say that? I wanted to read this definition, and it's like anything else with tongues, but specifically with prophecy, even interpretation of tongues. You know, there's a phrase, you, you, um, you chew the meat and you spit out the bones. I think that there, there's a time, you guys, that as people release the words, you have to understand we're not perfect as we release the word. If Sean has a prophetic word, like there's some truth, though, that he's not free from, you know, human error. I'm not free from human error. And so everything needs to fall in line with, okay, Lord, what are you saying to me in this moment? Does it resonate in my spirit? Does interpretation of the tongues resonate in align with the word of God? Is this prophetic word, does it, does it settle with you in edifying encouragement or consolation? Because I think to me, if it doesn't, what should you do? Just chuck it out. Like it's okay. But it doesn't mean though, if there's something a little bit off that all the prophecy is gone. Or all the interpretation of tongues is done with. Please don't ever get to that point. Because to me, you can say, oh, we're guarding this. We're protecting this. I think it's fear-based. I think it's fear-based when people say, no, that can't happen. Because it's almost like, well, we don't know what the Spirit of God is going to do. Praise God, the Spirit of God is going to move in a way that we don't know because we don't have control. Yeah, the Spirit of God is going to do it in decent order. He's going to do this in control. But at the same time, who are we to control the Spirit of God uh, in a way that just makes us uncomfortable? Like, because we're comfortable. So here's what I want to do. Piper does this. I'm going to fly through this like super fast. I want you just to recognize, okay, these are practical ways to approach all this. Recognize God's complete sovereignty in giving gifts to whoever he wants. Freely he wills. However he gives, it's up to God. Recognize that not all of us are going to have the gift of prophecy. But scripturally, we should desire this gift. All of us should desire the gifts. And here's what I want to encourage you. Be grateful with the gifts that you have. Be grateful with the gifts that you've received. Use them to uh, to the fullest. Rejoice that Sean has a gift differently than Rich or Rich has a different gift than, than Tom. Let us rejoice in these, not quench them. And in all of this, I love what Piper says, make love your aim in everything that you do as you express the gifts. Interesting enough, he closes it out in 6 and 7. He says, but you got to muster the courage to speak out what you believe. Okay, what you're sensing from the Lord. If it's done in love, release it. And then have humble expectations uh, that the prophecy will not be taken, okay, or whatever gift you're expressing as a word of Scripture, 
but as spirit-prompted human words to be weighed by scripture and by mature spiritual wisdom. That people will actually be able to balance this out based on the word of God, but they won't take that as scripture itself. I think for me, when you do this with balance, when you do this with approach uh, of using the word of God, to, to weigh everything out, to test everything. That's what you're supposed to do. Just, you're supposed to test, uh, examine and, and, and test prophetic utterances. Then you're okay. Embrace what God is giving you and others because he gets the glory. All right, guys, that's 1 Corinthians 14. Have an incredible day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Thanks.